If you have your Bible this morning, we're turning to the book of Revelation again, and to Revelation chapter, chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, and we're just going to go back to where we were last Lord's Day morning and see what the Lord would have to say to our hearts again, uh, even this morning. I don't know of anything greater that we could be occupied with this morning. And no matter who you are, and no matter what sort of a week you've had, and no matter what sort of a day you're having, I tell you, my dear people, this morning, just to get our eyes upon the Lord afresh, just for these moments together, will bless our souls and encourage our hearts and strengthen our walk uh, together. Revelation chapter 5, and whenever you find the place, uh, just leave your Bible uh, open there together this morning, please. Last week, whenever we started to look together at this wonderful book of the Revelation, we discovered that it's uh, the book that has the threefold blessing. It's the book that has a blessing to those that read it, those that hear it, and to those that keep it. And then we saw that this wonderful book of the Revelation is not just primarily a revelation of end times. It's not just a revelation about the Antichrist or the revived Roman Empire or the Battle of Armageddon or the new heaven or the new earth. No, it contains those things. But this revelation is a revelation of a person. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. And we saw last Lord's Day morning how John was on the Isle of Patmos. He was relegated from society and there on the Isle of Patmos, on the Lord's Day, when John was in the Spirit, he, he heard a voice. And my dear people, this morning, that's the reason I trust that we have come to this house today, is to hear a voice. To hear a voice above the voice of the preacher. And John, while he was there and in the Spirit, on the Lord's Day, he turned to see the voice that spake with him, and it was there where he saw the wonderful revelation of the glorified risen Savior himself. And then we saw in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, the Lord Jesus now, the one who at this very moment is our great high priest, the one who ever liveth to make intercession for us, he lifts out seven churches in Asia. He goes through the seven churches of Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamos and Thyatira, he lifts out these seven churches. And we saw together last Lord's Day morning that he had something good to say about every one of them. You know, there's a wee verse that says in 1 Corinthians concerning the judgment seat of Christ, that in that day, every man shall receive praise of the Lord. I think that's a wonderful thing this morning to know that in our lives of inconsistency and shortcomings and failures, that even on that day, the Lord Jesus will have something good to say about all his people. And then he lifts out five of the seven churches and he brings them, as it were, to the side and he takes them by the hand and he says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. I wonder this morning what the Lord may have against us. And then in Revelation chapter 4, we saw together how John, 
He saw in heaven there was a door that was open. Look at chapter 4 just and verse 1 for a moment. And after this, after he had saw the Lord and after he had heard all of the comments that the Lord Jesus had to say about his people, he said, after this, after this I looked and behold, a door was open in heaven. And I can tell you, my dear people, this morning, if you get a chance during the week, you get your concordance and go through some of the doors in the Bible. There's the door of salvation. The Lord Jesus said in John's Gospel, chapter 10, I am the door. So often we sing it. There is a way back to God from the dark paths of sin. There's a door that is open and all may go in. There's the door of salvation. Then there's the door of opportunity for the believer. There's the door of service. My, the Lord Jesus himself said to the church at Philadelphia, he said, I have set before you an open door, and no man shall shut it. And maybe there's someone here this morning, and you're seeking God concerning his will for your life. And you're wondering what it is the Lord has for you to do. And you're trying to understand the call of God upon your life. Well, I can tell you there'll be times in your life when God will open a door. I have set before you an open door, and no man shall shut it. And of course, there's the door of the church in Revelation chapter 3. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. And you know, we believe that those seven churches that are mentioned in Revelation 2 and 3 are a wonderful picture of the church age. Because I can tell you, my dear people, this morning, we're in the Laodicean age of the church. We're enriched and we're increased with goods, and we would say we have need of nothing. But the Lord Jesus went on to say, And knowest not that you're blind, wretched, miserable, naked, and poor. And to think this morning, maybe even across the evangelical church in the West, the one who gave his own blood for the church himself stands outside the door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And you know, I was thinking, and I can't get it out of my mind, and he'll not mind me mention it this morning. Whenever our dear brother Bertie was closing the mission down in Junction 13, he said it was the last call and it was the longest call. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. But this is not the door of the church and it's not the door of salvation. It's the door of heaven. Behold, a door was opened in heaven. And we saw last week, and I'm only recapping it on your mind this morning, because repetition is a wonderful way of getting things into our heart. You remember whenever John, look at it, you see, in chapter 4 and verse 2, and immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven. That was the first thing that John saw. He didn't get his eyes on the golden street. He got his eyes on the throne. And we saw last Lord's Day morning how we, even in this day, need to get our eyes on the throne. Get our eyes upon the one that occupies the throne. The one who is the first and the last. 
He saw the elders and the rainbow and the thunder, the lightnings, the sea of glass. He saw the four living creatures. He heard them cry, holy, holy, holy. John's now in heaven. Now, Revelation chapter 5. You remember how we saw together in verse 1, And I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book, written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. These are the title deeds to heaven and earth. There's the seven seals of authority upon them. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? The person that was going to open this book had to be willing and had to be able and had to be worthy to execute what's going to be in it. Who's worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven, nor in earth, neither under the earth was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open the book and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits, of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came, and he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book and the four beasts and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of the odors which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, and he opened the seals thereof, for thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and had made us kings and priests unto your God, and shall reign upon the earth or over the earth. And I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousands of ten thousands and thousands of thousands, saying, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as in, is in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts saith, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. There's just three things I want to leave before you this morning as we consider this wonderful scene in heaven. I want us to consider this morning afresh this wonderful vision of the Lamb. Look at verse 6. And behold, and lo, in the midst of the throne 
And of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain. And my dear people, this morning I just want to refresh our hearts to think for a moment about the lamb that was slain for you and me. You see this word slain here? You'll get it in verse 6, verse 9, and verse 12. It's the word to be slaughtered. It's the word to be violently slew. Now I want you to get this in your mind this morning. We're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ here. We're talking about the one who created all things. We're talking about the one that came down into the virgin's womb. And John says, I saw him as a lamb that had been slain. I tell you, my dear people, this morning, you and I as the people of God, just for a little moment, to visit Calvary again this morning, and there we'll see the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God that was slain for you and me. There's a terminology that we use as the word substitution. And I just want to take you into that for a little moment this morning. Because the Lord Jesus just didn't die. The Lord Jesus Christ, my dear people, just didn't go to a cross. The Lord Jesus Christ, my dear people, became accountable for your sin and for mine. He took my sins and my sorrows. We were singing that this morning. He made them his very own. He died in my stead. He paid the penalty that I could never pay. We sing it at times, my, he paid a debt that I could, could never pay. And the Lord Jesus Christ, my dear people, he was slain. He was violently slain. Peter says he was taken by wicked hands and he was slain. But to think this today, that he was slain, he died for you and me. To think of that. To think this morning that the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ was shed on my behalf and on yours. I can tell you whenever the apostle said, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. It's the word propitiation. I don't know if you've ever come across that word when you're reading your Bible. It's the word for someone to take your place and then to satisfy the claims of a holy God on your behalf. To think that every one of us here this morning were rebel, reptile sinners. My, we defied God. We broke His word. We, we, we denied His even law. But my, there was a moment when the Lord Jesus Christ came and He came down into this old world and He died on a cross. And He not only died on a cross, but He became accountable for my sin and for yours. To think that the Lord Jesus Christ was the sinless, spotless substitute because the sinless Savior died. My guilty soul is counted free for God the justice satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. 
And my dear people, this morning, even as believers, to rediscover again and to go back to the foundation to think and to know that the Lord Jesus Christ suffered for my sin. I don't know if some of you have ever come across a man by the name of Don Francisco. We used to listen to him many times. Don Francisco was looking across his Facebook page the other day. Some wonderful songs that he's penned, him and his wife. Don Francisco came out two or three weeks ago, and this is what he said. I no longer believe that the blood was sufficient or even needed or required to take away my sin. He said it was the good life of the Lord Jesus. He died as an example. He didn't die as my Savior. There's nothing in the blood. That's what Don Francisco said. I want to tell you, my dear people, this song that we're going to see in a moment, whenever we get to heaven, you know what we'll sing? We'll sing about the precious blood of the Lamb who has redeemed us to God by His blood. I tell you, my dear people, the Lord Jesus Christ didn't become a sinner on the cross. Joyce Myers will tell you that. Benny Hinn will tell you that. But the Lord Jesus Christ was God, the sinless Lamb of God on the cross. But what happened was all of my sin, all of your sin was laid on His account. And the Lord Jesus Christ satisfied the claims of a holy God that the moment that we put our faith and trust in Him, we were justified by faith, sanctified in Him. And maybe you're here this morning and the devil has been rocking your salvation. And maybe there's things that you've done and words that you've used and you maybe feel a failure and unworthy this morning. And so every one of us are. But oh, thank God that the Lamb hasn't changed. The blood hasn't changed. The gospel hasn't changed. We're redeemed to God by His blood. This is what Paul said to the believers at Colossae. He, he, he said he, he blotted out the handwriting of ordinance that was against us. That was contrary to us. And he took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. My dear people, you think of that this morning. You remember the Lord Jesus when he was on the cross. There was a superscription over his head. It was the accusation. And every one of us had an accusation over our head. Guilty, condemned, sinners, separated. And what the Lord Jesus did, he took my, that handwriting that was against us, and he nailed it to his own cross. And he took it away. Oh, my dear men and women, to think of that this morning, that he not just suffered at the hands of men, he suffered at the hands of God for you and me. Now here's a wee question. Do you think he's going to let go of you? Do you think because you stumble and fall, he's going to let go? I tell you, my dear people, this morning... He died for you and He died instead of you and He died because of you. He died in your place and He died for your penalty. Sanctification is whenever our position is changed. Whenever you and I get sanctified in the Lord Jesus, what happens? He brings us out of the family of the devil and brings us into His own family. Translated from darkness into light. Whenever we get justified, He removes our past. Whenever we are redeemed, He is my, He has purchased us with the price. Whenever the Lord Jesus was the substitute on the cross, He took our place. But whenever He was the propitiation for us, He paid our penalty. 
Oh, my dear people, if I could get that into your heart this morning, to think that there on the cross of Calvary, my, the Lord Jesus Christ did for you and me what we could never do for ourselves. Oh, what a wonderful Savior. Without the shedding of blood, I can tell you there's no remission. There's no forgiveness of sin. And every one of us are on a level playing field this morning before a holy God to think that His Son died for me. And here's how He thought for you this morning. The cross was no afterthought. No, no. My, whenever Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God didn't rally His troops, as it were, and say, what are we going to do now? My, I can tell you it says in the book of Revelation that He is the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Before you were conceived in your mother's womb, Christ knew that He was going to die for you. Before the hills and order stood, our earth ever even received her frame, the Lord Jesus knew that there was a day when He was going to descend the slopes of heaven and come down into this old world and die for you and me. I tell you, my Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee all the pleasures of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. You see here it says in verse 6, a lamb as it had been slain. There's no scabs in heaven. No scabs there. And there's two thoughts concerning the lamb that was slain. And he saw the Lord Jesus, the, the lamb and the wounds in heaven as this. He'll never need to go through it again. And God will never forget about it. For all of eternity to come, my dear men and women, we will worship the Lamb that was slain on our behalf to praise Him, to elegize Him, to glorify and magnify Him, the One who came and lived and died on our behalf. He's the Lamb as it had been slain. I can tell you Calvary is fresh in the mind of God. It's fresh. But then he went on in verse 6 and he said this, And behold, and lo, in the midst of the throne and the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain. He stood again. Here's a lamb that was slain, but it got on his feet again. And that's something that you and I have never seen. We have never seen a dead lamb stand on his feet. But here's the Lamb in heaven, I can tell you, who has defeated the powers of darkness, the devil and death itself. And on the third day he rose again, and that's why all he needed was a borrowed tomb, because he only needed it for three days. And he spoiled principalities and powers, and he made an exhibition of them openly. The word is he stripped them, he dismantled them, and he disarmed them when he came up out of the grave. I tell you, he's a living Savior. And this morning, he's able to give freedom to the captive. He's able this morning to give life to the dead. He's able to give sight to the blind. He's able to intervene in your life this morning. No matter how big the storm is, no matter how big the trial is, he's the hope to the hopeless. He's the help to the helpless. He's the one that gives the oil of joy to the mourner and the garment of praise to the one this morning that is under the spirit of heaviness. I tell you, my dear people, his enemies couldn't destroy him. 
Pilate couldn't accuse him. The devil couldn't even kill him. Death couldn't take him and the grave couldn't hold him. And the Lord Jesus Christ, my, he came up out of the grave as our redeemer, as our conqueror, as our ruler, as our intercessor. And my, he led captivity captive and he gave gifts unto men. What a wonderful Savior. He's the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. My, he's the stone that the builders rejected who has become the head of the corner. He's the head of the body. He's the head of the church. And Paul said he is the head of all things. He made all things. He knows all things. By him all things consist. He's the image of the invisible God. My, that in all things he might have the preeminence. The Father gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He deserves first place. He desires first place. I tell you, my people this morning, he demands first place. Is he first place in our lives today? Has he got the throne of our heart? Wasn't that wonderful hymn penned by Isaac? What? When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. My, he went on to say, love so amazing, so divine demands my soul, my life, my all. He's the lamb with the seven horns and the seven eyes and the seven spirits. He's perfect in every way. He's sufficient for every situation. He's sufficient for every burden. He's sufficient for every situation of life. He's the one this morning, no matter where you look at him, no matter how you think about him, he's the one that is perfect and perfect and perfect again. He's marked by holiness and majesty and power. Now you look at verse 60, you see something. And I beheld and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb. I tell you, he's not only the perfect lamb, he's the very present lamb. He's the lamb, it says twice in this wonderful verse, in the midst. He's the one that draws near. He's the one that comes near to his people. And maybe this morning, just where you are along the road of life, you need a Savior like that. You need someone this morning to draw near to you. I can tell you we've read together, he stands in the midst. You remember way back in Daniel chapter 3. There was three young Hebrew boys and they were down in Babylon. And they weren't going to give in to the claims of old ungodly Nebuchadnezzar. And my, how Nebuchadnezzar got them and bound them. And he put them into a furnace seven times hotter than it had ever been before. In fact, the Bible says whenever the men threw them in, that the very men that opened the furnace were consumed with the heat of the fire. And the three Hebrew boys fell down into the furnace. And then Nebuchadnezzar ran over and he says, Oh, was it not three men that we put and lo, I see a fourth man, one like unto the Son of God, standing in the midst. And maybe you're here this morning and you're in the fire. Maybe this morning you're in the furnace. 
Maybe this morning you know all about the affliction of the enemy and the persecution of the world and the health is against you. The enemy is against you. Your friends are against you. My, there's situation after situation and you're down in a furnace and it's hotter now than it's ever been before in your life and you're maybe ready to give up. And those three young boys were down in the fire. Then came the lamb and stood in the midst. I tell you, they didn't even have a hair singed on their body. The only thing that burnt off them was the rope. He drew near. He stood in the midst. The Lord Jesus himself, after he fed the 5,000 in Matthew 14, he constrained, the Bible says, his disciples to get into a ship. And he went up onto the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the Bible says the disciples were in the midst of the storm. The boat was filled with water. They were fearful. They were at the end of their tether. And mind you, they were fishermen. They knew what it was to be in storms. But my, they came to this place of fear and dread and terror. And then the Bible says, then came Jesus. He can come to you, my dear believer, in the midst of the furnace. He can come to you in the midst of the storm. He's a lamb, a present lamb. And then in John's Gospel, chapter 20, the disciples were in the upper room. And my, they had the doors shut and the windows barred for fear of the Jews. And my, they were there, and I'm sure they were filled with uncertainty and maybe even doubt, definitely fear. And the Bible says, Then came Jesus and stood in the midst. And on and on we could go this morning of how the Lord Jesus is a very present help in the time of trouble. Paul said to the believers at Philippi, The Lord is at hand. He's at your very elbow this morning. He's at your elbow now. And maybe no one else knows the thoughts that have been going through your mind. Maybe no one else knows the roar of the enemy and the accusations that have been coming. And you feel in the storm and you feel in the furnace. And you feel as if you're this morning marked by fear and you're held in and hemmed in on every side. Well, my dear people, there's one that can come and stand in the very midst of his people. Oh, praise his wonderful name. There's not only the vision of the Lamb here, there's the singing of the saints. Look at verse 7. And he, that's the Lamb, the Lord himself came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, every one of them having harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. They had bowls in their hands. And here these, these elders in heaven, the picture of the church, they have bowls, golden bowls with the prayers of God's people. And maybe there's a mother here this morning and you've been praying for a long time and you haven't seen any answers yet. I want to tell you, my dear mother, your prayers are not forgotten. They're stored in heaven. And here these bowls, these golden bowls, My, they're the prayers of God's people and the fragrance in heaven of my worship and prayer and praise and the golden bowls are brought. I can tell you, hold on, your prayers will be answered. Just hold on. Don't give up just yet. And then in verse 9 it says, And they sung a new song, 
saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by Thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. I can tell you, my dear people, there's some wonderful songs in the Bible. There's some wonderful songs in our hymn book. But to think that there's coming a day when we're going to sing a new song, sing a new song, worthy, thou art worthy. Lord, I was a sinner. I was dominated by the enemy. Now the devil had destroyed my life. And there was a moment when you intervened, Lord, and you bought me back. And you brought me out all because of the precious blood. And we'll stand in that blood-washed throng in heaven. And we'll sing, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Who has redeemed us to God by his blood out of every kindred. Think about that for a moment, mate. That word kindred is the word family. Every family. My every family that has ever come into existence from Adam to the end of time, there'll be at least one person out of that family that will be there. Out of every family. And my dear parent this morning that you're praying for your boy and you're praying for your children and you're praying maybe for your other relatives. Oh, I want to tell you, keep praying because the blood has been shed and the price has been paid. Thou hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. I can tell you what a wonderful sight that will be. What a wonderful song that will be. Men and women, black and white, red and yellow, all are precious in his sight. My, to stand before the throne, to see the lamb that was slain, to understand something of the price that he paid, and we'll stand there on that day and we'll say, he's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy, for he has redeemed us to God by his blood. My dear men and women this morning, we can't make enough of the blood. The blood. The blood. The precious blood. My, we sing it in the prayer meeting nights. My power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb to think that the blood was shed for you and me. Now look at verse 11 as we close. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. And they were saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain. That's it, my dear people. Get back to the lamb. Get back to the blood. Get back to the cross. Get back to the lamb that was slain on our behalf. And here they say he's worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom, strength and honor and glory and blessing. Now that's what I want to close with. Do you think that whenever we get into heaven and for all of eternity we're going to be able to sing with this blood-washed company of believers? 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands and we'll sing from every kindred and nation and people and tribe, worthy is the Lamb. And they ascribe seven things to him that he's worthy of here. Now here's a wee question for you. Do you think that he would be worthy of those things now? 
Do you think it's just in the coming day that he's going to be worthy of these things? Or would you say this morning, well, if he's worthy, then he's definitely worthy now. And I see some of you nodding your head this morning. You say, Stephen, that's right. Stephen, he's worthy of power now. He's worthy of riches now. He's worthy of wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing now. Well, I just want to talk to you about those things as we close this. You see here this word in, in verse 12. He's worthy to receive power. That's the word authority. I tell you, my dear people, this morning, one of the greatest things that any believer can do is this. Submit themselves to the authority of Jesus Christ. That you would say, Lord, you're not just worthy to be an authority in heaven, but you're worthy at this very moment on the first Sunday of October 2023. You're worthy to be, oh, have all of the authority over my life. You're worthy to be on the throne of my heart. It's the word to submit to dominion. You remember in Matthew chapter 8, that there was a centurion in Capernaum and he had a servant that was sick. And he came to the Lord Jesus and he said, Lord, my servant's dying. And the Lord Jesus started to walk with him back to his house. And the centurion stopped him and he said, Master, don't even come to my house. He said, just speak the word and he will be healed. For I am a man under authority. And then he said, I have servants under me and I tell one to go here and another to go there. And my dear believer this morning, let me tell you this, the lamb that was slain for you and me, the one who went to Calvary and shed his precious blood, he's worthy of dominion over every one of our lives to submit to the authority of Jesus Christ. Thou art worthy, Lord, to receive power. Lord, you're worthy this morning because what you have done for me to be in control of everything that I have. Lord, I just don't want to give you authority in heaven. I want to ascribe authority to you now. I want you to tell me what you want me to do, Lord. I want you to tell me where you want me to go. I want you to show your will to me, and I want to obey it, and I want to do it. He's worthy to receive power. And then they go on, and he says, he's worthy to receive riches. It's easy to sing that in heaven. It's easy to sing that when you don't have an Ulster Bank account in heaven. Or you don't have a Santander account in heaven. And we'll all be able to sing worthy. You're worthy, Lord, to receive authority. You're worthy, Lord, to receive riches. But is he worthy of your money now? Is he worthy of everything that we have now? Is he worthy of our time and of our gifting? Is he worthy of everything that we have, every possession? Answer me the question, is he worthy? Answer me another question, does he have it? Does he have it? He's worthy to receive power and riches, and then he's worthy to receive wisdom. That word wisdom there can be translated the word intellect. And my dear believer, this morning, he's worthy of your intelligence. He's worthy of your mind this morning. He's worthy of your thoughts. There was a man many years ago by the name of Jack Hugh. 
He didn't pass any exams at school. He was basically illiterate. He couldn't write. He couldn't read. And then he could see it. And he rose up the ladder through the banking in London. And then he went away over to New Zealand. He was a, a Bible teacher for many years. And a young person went to him and says, Jack, how is it that you've been so mightily used by the Lord whenever you couldn't even read or write whenever you were at school? And Jack turned around to the young man. He says this, I gave him my mind. I gave him my mind. And he said for two days every week, he said, I would just shut the door when I come home from work. I would get my, my tea and then I would go into my little room. I would get my Bible and I would just read and pray and seek God. I would read about redemption. I would read about the cross. I would read about heaven and hell. I would read about all of the wonderful truth in the scripture. And I absorbed my mind. I got it into my mind. I tell you, my dear people, he's worthy of your intellect. He's worthy. Look at it again. He's worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom. And then it puts in the word strength. It's the word ability. I tell you, my dear people, this morning, that God has given you an ability. Something that you can do that no one else can do. And you're precious to the Lord and you're precious to us this morning. And God has given you something in your life that you can do. Maybe it's a gift of encouragement. Maybe it's the, my, the ability to pray. My, maybe it's maybe the ability to preach. Maybe it's the ability to visit or make a phone call or get around God's people. Maybe it's an ability to be a Sunday school teacher or a preacher or a missionary. And on and on we could go. There's a gifting. There's an ability in your life that God has given to you. He's worthy of it this morning. He's worthy of it. He's worthy of all of your energy. He's worthy of all of your ability. He's the lamb that was slain now. And then he goes on, he says, he's worthy of honor. That means first place. He's worthy of preeminence in your life. He's worthy of everything that you and I have. He's worthy of glory. And this is the last one. He's worthy of blessing. You see that word blessing there? It's the word to be happy. It's the word to be happy. And what that really means is this, if we were to apply this to our day and age today, He's worthy for you and I to live a life that would please the Lord. And I was talking to the young people on Friday night about that, how we ought to walk and to please God. Enoch had this testimony that he pleased him. He's worthy this morning. He's worthy, sir, of your money. He's worthy, my dear sister, of your ability. He's worthy of your mind. He's worthy of your praise. He's worthy of blessing. He's worthy of power. He's the lamb that was slain that is worthy of all that we may have. I want to ask you the question as I've been asking myself the question. Does he have those seven things now? Not just in heaven. Is he the owner? Is he the ruler? Is he the dictator of our life? Is he the supreme Lord and master? Has he got dominion? Has he got preeminence? Can we say this morning, Lord, I'm not going to wait to heaven. I'm not going to wait to see the throne or the golden street or the rainbow or the elders or the living creatures. Lord, you're the lamb that was slain for me and you're worthy now on this Sunday morning. You're worthy of power over my life. 
You're worthy of my riches. You're worthy of wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then in verse 13 it says, And every creature which is in heaven, and on the earth and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. You see that word, Amen? You know what it means. I agree with that. And if you and I this morning were to say, Lord, you're worthy of it, you know what heaven would say? They would say, Amen. Amen. Amen to that. That word is, uh, I agree with that. The word Amen means I can say nothing better than that. Amen. Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and forever. George V went to see a young people's hospital in London many years ago. And all the young boys that were in the wards, they were getting excited because the king was coming. And the king came with all of his bodyguards and all of the doctors were there and all of the nurses were there and they went around all the beds. And then the visit was over, it was gone. One of the sisters, as they walked up and down the ward that night, she came to a young boy's bed by the name of Jimmy and Jimmy was crying, he was weeping. <laughs> And the nurse said, Jimmy, why are you crying? He said, I thought the king was coming today. He said, I've been waiting and watching for him all day. I thought the king was coming. And the nurse turned around to Jimmy and says, Jimmy, he did come. He was here. Did, did you not get talking to him? Sure, he stopped at your bed. And young Jimmy said, was that him? But he didn't have a crown on his head. He didn't recognize the king. You see, this day, we'll have no problem recognizing the king. Crown him. Crown him, Lord, of your life this morning. Give him whatever power and riches and wisdom and blessing and honor you can today. Give him everything that you have. Lay it all of his, at his feet and say, Lord, you're worthy. You're worthy. You're worthy of all that I have. Let us stand to our feet and we'll sing 589. 589 and then we'll gather around the table. Let us sing of his love once again, of the love that can never decay, of the blood of the Lamb who was slain, till we praise him again in that day. In the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. In the sweet by and by, we shall meet on the beautiful shore.